Welcome to Philip Tracy in conversation with Kimvara Balfour at the Apple Store Regent Street in London. Please welcome our moderator, creative director and producer, Kimvara Balfour. Hello everyone. Thank you all for coming. What a great crowd. Thank you so much. I'm genuine. I say this actually about all of my guests, but I am genuinely over the moon to be interviewing our guest today. He's uh, a dear, dear friend and someone I have such huge respect for. Um, I will read a little bit about him and then we're going to watch a quick part of his latest show before we welcome him on stage. He's one of the greatest creators of our time. He trained at the National College of Art and Design in Dublin and then at the Royal College of Art here in London. Since then, he has become the most ha famous hat maker in the world. His designs have appeared on catwalks, in magazines, in films and in museums all over the world and they have also won him numerous awards. They're also worn by fashion icons and cultural legends all over the world, from Grace Jones, Sarah Jessica Parker, Naomi Campbell, Madonna, Boy George, the late Isabella Blow, I could go on, not forgetting members of many of the world's royal families. Before I welcome him on stage, we're gonna take a look at the first half of his recent show, which he held here in London. Ladies and gentlemen, the greatest milliner in the world, Philip Tracy. In the clothes of the late Michael Jackson. Amen, fashion!
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, in the words of Lady Gaga, one of his most devoted fans, the greatest Miller in the world, Philip Tracy. Everybody's here. Everyone's shopping. Well, they're shopping as well. That's, that's kind of what they do, and then they come and join. Um, I, I have so much to ask you. I actually kind of got a bit overwhelmed this morning when I was preparing my questions for you, because I, there is so many different aspects of your career and each one to me seems to be so incredibly important and so incredibly special. There's such sort of longevity and each time in your career is, is kind of marked by some incredible people. So I'm wondering whether we start from the beginning or whether we actually just talk about the show that we've just seen because I think that might be a good place to start, in fact. Possibly. What would you like to do? I'm happy to do whatever you want me to do. Okay, let's talk about that show. Okay. How did that show come about? And it was your most recent show, yes. which was last, last year. I was there. It we was do, we don't do a show very often, so no. it's whenever I can. Whenever you feel like it. Yeah. yeah. Well, really, the show came about because I, uh, I was working with Katie England, a stylist, on, on a Paco Rabanne show in Paris. And uh, we were just waiting for the show to start. And, and this, I just saw this girl leaning against the wall. And... Uh, she was just incredible looking, and she was African, and so I went over to her and I said, uh, what's your name? And she said, Grace, and I have another Grace in my life, so I was a little bit stunned that her name was Grace, and, and so there's this incredible model called Grace Ball, uh, who basically inspired the whole show, and I just wanted to make a show about Africa getting rich, because it's such a wonderful, culture and country and black women uh, wear hats uh, you know black women come into my shop and white women come into my shop and white women when they look in the mirror in my shop they look to me for assurance and say do I look okay in this hat and black women look in the same mirror and, and say I look great so they have a, just a different really? approach to to um, an inner kind of exuberance that uh, that some people just don't have so so uh, there's two questions that lead, lead on from that. One, um, how did Lady? I know that Lady Gaga is one of your big fans. I love oh, Lady so Gaga. many questions. How did how did you meet Lady Gaga in the first place? I want to talk about how she came to the show. But how did she actually? How did she contact you? I know she loved your hats for a while. What was she, the first I, thing you I did actually together? Actually, I met her. Uh, I met her um, in Grace Jones' dressing room when she when she was. What I love about pop music is that. One year she was in London supporting the Pussycat Dolls with two backing singers singing to a backing track. And then one year later she was playing to 50,000 people. And she came to see a show. I, I was art directing Grace Jones' uh, concert tour a few years ago. And Lady Gaga came to the, came to the um, show in the Roundhouse. And then she came to her dressing room and then she washed her feet. She washed Grace Jones' feet. She oh, she, oh, Lady Gaga me. washed Grace Jones' feet. Well, she's just a huge Grace Jones fan, but Grace Jones doesn't believe her. So it's okay. just... Uh, Did Grace ask her to wash the feet, or that was a, a form I, of... I don't uh, really... I think she, she was just very happy to, to... She was just thrilled to meet Grace. Okay. Meeting Grace is like meeting God. I, ha I have met Grace with you, and I would agree with that. She is extraordinary and has an incredible presence. How did you start with Grace? Grace and you have known each other for a long time. Yeah, I, I mean, Grace, uh, I, I mean, I have this, first time I went to New York when I was 22, I... Okay, yeah, let's start from the met beginning. Met this woman, uh, 
I'd never been to New York before, and America was a mythical place to me when I was growing up because we grew up on Irish on Irish television. We had lots of American TV shows. So when I went to New York, I thought, my God, this is going to be amazing. And you know, it was an event that I was doing at Bergdorf Goodman, and. I thought it was going to attract like these incredibly elegant American women, and what I didn't realize is that I actually attracted the crazies. And but at the end, this is you know very elegant woman turned up, and she took me out and looked after me for three days and gave me her limousine for three days. Nice. And then at the end of the whole experience, uh, she said something very strange to me, and she said, "Now listen, you know, when, when she was after the three days, and we'd be hanging out, she said, listen, my best friend is Grace Jones, but I'm not going to introduce you to her because she'll clear you out.' And so I didn't really understand what she meant by that, and now I know what she means. What does she mean? She bought everything. But Grace likes every hat. Every she, she likes to possess everything. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you went on to make a lot of hats for Grace, not only for her shows and her performances, but yes. really just for her sitting at home. I mean uh, yes, it's just that she's a very uh, she's a very interesting artist, and uh, she is a very she's a, she's a kind of an unsung. Uh, I mean, she's very well respected, but she is hugely talented, and yeah. I, you know, I saw her when when we first met her. After about ten years, I met her then. And she took uh, us to Amsterdam for the weekend, and she was performing in this arena. And she, uh, I saw her direct her backing dances. Does anybody know the song Warm Leatherette? You know the song Warm Leatherette? <laughs> and uh, so it's one of our <laughs> first famous songs. A few, a few. Okay, and so I saw her direct her new dancer between the, she, uh, I saw her on stage. I was standing at the side of the stage, and I saw her going warm, not yet, to the dancer Leatherette, and I thought, Wow, that's hard to do that. So she's really good. She's an incredible, extraordinary person. Well, she's she, an alien. She's she's yeah, she's extraordinary. But that seems to be a theme in your life that you have these extraordinary people, not necessarily just women, but you do have these extraordinary women and there's something about hats that brings out the extraordinary and what you create is extraordinary. So Let's talk about Lady Gaga in a minute, because I actually want to go back to how, where you began, because you, you, you're one of eight, eight children. You grew up in Ireland in County Galway, mm. and, and you, I think I remember rightly that you found feathers from chickens, and that was your first sort of foray into hat making, was with the chicken feathers, am I yes. right? Yes. Well, well, my mum had chickens and pheasants and geese and all things feathered, so... Okay. Uh, I grew up with all those kind of and things. And you lived opposite a church, so were you influenced by the wedding guests that arrived? Yes, I sort of, uh, I went to uh, weddings as a pastime, as a child, so <laughs> I wasn't invited to the weddings, I just went to the weddings because I just thought, this is incredible, Somebody, all these people are all dressed up, and Who needs somebody's in white, and they look amazing, and, yeah. and so I still, you know, I've, over the years I've had an opportunity to work with the most incredible designers, and the most talented designers in the world, but I still think that those wedding dresses that I saw when I was six um, were better. But of course well. they weren't. But when you're six, you think everything's incredible. You do. I mm. mean, well, yeah, it's obviously had a huge influence on you. When you, um, when you grew up, what was the first hat you ever actually made? I know there was a green one which, which took you to Tatler magazine. But what was the first hat you ever actually created with your own hands? First hat that I, you know, I, there was a, a market in... in in, in Dublin, near the college where I went to, called um, Francis Street Market, I think it was. And it was really a sort of, 
now when you think of a sort of closed market somewhere, you think of somewhere quite kind of, but this was really a little bit rough. And there was just lots of clothes piled up in the middle of this space. And, and I found this kind of old straw hat. And I took the straw hat apart. And I ma made a hat. I had a go with some, some kitchen utensils and a kettle with steam. And then I told my tutor, who was English at the college, and she said, I said, oh, I've made a hat. And she said, oh, I'd, I'd like to see it. Can you bring it in? And so I brought it in, and she bought it. So yeah. I thought, okay, that's a result. <laughs> that's so, a result. Uh, and she wore, it, and she was an artist, and she wore it to her exhibition in London. So, so it was kind of a, yeah, good, a good start. start. But I did, I, you know, I wasn't. I, I just thought, okay, maybe I'll. And you went to the Royal College of Art, and they actually didn't have a millinery course at the time. They they you had were, a course the, in the sixties, the and then they set up a course okay. uh, later. Okay. So that's yeah. when you really, really started really, really kind of going for it. Yes. And then you left the Royal College of Art. Well, I studied fashion design. Oh, you studied fashion design? Yes. So okay. I, um, it's helped me to work with, because I work with fashion designers. And so I studied fashion design for years. Yeah. And then I... Um, do, you, do you miss that? Do, have you ever been no. tempted to go and do more? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I'm so happy I'm not making clothes. Why? Oh. A nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean couture clothes for people. You know, it's yeah. uh, it's a nightmare. A lot of work. Yeah, seasonal, work. seasonal. But that is what I was work. interested in. And but then I had a tutor in um, at the Royal College who I loved and believed everything she said. And so one day I said to her, "Shall I make clothes or shall I make hats?" And she said, "Make hats." And I said, "Why?" And she said, "Because no one's making hats." So I said, "Okay." And then I made hats. And now, now a lot of people are making hats. Yes. I, I think, um, looking at your work um, and researching for this today, I have kind of gone across social media and really looked out there. there. There are a huge number of hat makers out there, and a lot of them reference your work. And a lot of them are, uh, a lot of them are in Australia. Yeah. There's a lot of hat makers in Australia. <laughs> There's a lot of hat makers in America. I don't know if there's and that in many Ireland. in Russia and China yet. Oh, they're everywhere. You know, are they? Are they? I mean, they're. I, th I think. I've, I mean, every single day I, I get sort of Facebook requests or friendships, and everyone's a hat designer. Um, okay. Th so I always say yes because I think it's tacky to say no. I agree. So friends with I think everyone. It's rude friends be with everyone. You've, in, you've inspired them, so yes. be friends. Also, I think it's important. You know, one thing I would say to any hat designers is that what really has helped me and what would help you is to be original and don't make it look like somebody else's hat people respond to originality and uh, an original idea that they haven't seen before and fashion you know is such a sort of you know what we see today is all over the world tomorrow so everyone is very clued in universally about everything today so I think also the technology and everything has really in, in fact ma it's made it easier I mean I know that your hands are your hands and they are your they are your machinery aren't they really yes. uh, with what you do and I think a lot of people might when think people come that you're to our studio they think that you know I am grandly sitting there handing sketches to hundreds of assistants I am the person who gets the sketch so I right. make those things as well with a very small team of people Okay, and has technology changed the way you are over the last ten years? I mean, do you? Are well, I you love, uh, I love kind of futuristic uh, things and yeah. technology and yeah. computers. How are you consuming I'm your information? I'm not very good at it, but uh, 
I have, well, the first pieces you saw in the video, uh, I worked backways by um, use. I worked, I was fascinated by 3D printing and uh, what, is it, what is the other name for it? Anyone? I just call it 3D printing. That probably yeah. sounds too basic for such a So what concept. I did is I, um, I made the shapes and then I scanned, when I'd made the shapes, then I scanned those shapes into the computer and then perfected them on the computer and then, uh, wow. and then printed them. Okay. Okay. And how are you consuming your information or what inspires you? I mean, I, I know that you have endless books and you're very inspired by film mm. and a lot of your hats appear in a lot of films. Yeah. Um, are you, is, is, is the iPad or computers changed the way that you consume more information or are you still looking through those books or have you actually found a lot more online in terms of things that inspire you now? I think everybody lives online yeah. today, yeah. you know, in a way. I mean, the b books are wonderful. I mean, I, yeah. I like to use my brain like, like a computer, really, yeah. in a way. So I, I, I look at everything, but I may not want to reference it, but then I'll think right. about it later. Okay, and what makes you wake up in the morning and think, I'm going to make a ship hat or a Chinese temple hat or what wh where's that all coming from well you know because not everyone has those thoughts I don't think and they don't execute them when they do have them and you've done it so perfectly I I I'm I'm, I'm, I'm an obsessive I okay. like to make difficult things you know I mean I don't like I mean they drive me crazy, drive me crazy. but uh, I I kind of I, I have a very um, I have a very I'm lucky that I have, an, I have an opportunity to influence how people see hats in the 21st century all over the world. So yes. that's very exciting. And I, you know, when I started first, uh, my other, the other people on my course in, in the Royal College, they were like, why do you want to make hats? Only old ladies wearing hats. And I just thought that was just insane because everybody has a head. So the potential is that everybody could wear a hat. So it's just when I started first, <laughs> the, the customer was much more mature customer. And now they're young. So that's great. I and Isabella was very encouraging of, uh, you know, she really wanted young people. She used to say, get them when they're 11. So talking about so Isabella, I just want to touch upon that because we haven't talked about Isabella yet. And she's such a huge part of your life and, and mm. many people's lives. Sadly, she's not with us now, but when you first met Isabella, she, you took in a green hat to Michael Roberts at Tatler and she said, I actually quoted it somewhere, this is major. I've never seen felt cut like this. Um, she didn't tell me that. She oh, was she a little bit that. tricky with me actually on that first meeting. So, so yeah, tell us about Isabella. Well, she was bit. kind of cool, very kind of, she wasn't kind of, you know, very effusive. The thing about Isabella that nobody really talks about very much is Isabella I should was clarify, really, is Isabella really Blow, the stylist, just to all the people on our podcast who are watching around the world. Isabella was the Isabella funniest was person I've ever met. And she was so entertaining and she was a very people person. But people don't, you don't really... People don't really just talk about those. They talk about her style or her hats or her clothes. Right. But as a person, she was a catalyst for so many people like me and Alexander McQueen. And, you know, she invented careers out of thin air for people like Sophie Dahl and Stella Tennant. Right. And, you know, many of those people pretend it didn't happen, but it did. Yeah. So. And, and what we've uh, just had the fashion, the Isabella Blow fashion galore exhibition at Somerset House, yes, which was obviously a huge deal for you. But when I walked in there, I was blown away by the sheer volume of pieces that you had made for her. Mm. Now, that obviously for me reflects something, an incredibly intimate and exciting relationship 
you you obviously do that for a lot of your clients, but but yes. for that particular relationship and those particular hats, what journey do they have now? Because I know that the the, the exhibition is closed, and I was just wondering, where mm. where do they go, and what do you do with with that? Can they can they do you have an archive? Do, uh, no, you just have your yes, office where things just. I mean, they're, they're kind of, they travel. Where is Alessandra? They're, they're part of your well, life So, so no. for I example, mean, Alessandra went out this morning and had the ship photographed on David Gandhi. So, oh, you the know, ship they on David Gandhi, that'll be fun. How was that, Alessandra? She <laughs> says it was very good. This is Philip's right hand, everything. Yeah. Okay, so they, well, so the, they, so the they have a journey, but I want to make sure you look after them and they're... Well, are they I, not going I, around the world? No, they okay. sort of, um, they... You know, is when is Isabella really, you know, people used to, Isabella used to come and say, you know, I keep meeting people, they want to know, you know, where I'm going. Or, you know, one time I met her in a hotel in Los Angeles and, and she said, everyone I meet in this hotel, they keep saying, where's the party? Because everybody thought she was going to a party because she was dressed up. But she, Isabella dressed like this on the tube. You know, it's very easy for people to, uh, you know, dressed like this when they've got six security guards and a big limousine. But when you're on the bus or on the tube, it's slightly different. I mean, she didn't really think uh, in, she didn't have a problem with that. But, and she always got a good response. But she was um, fearless. And most people in fashion are filled with fear. And Isabella was fearless. Right. So, you know, Isabella had the ability to, you know, in a, at a Paris catwalk, at a Paris runway show where the tent is a black tent, there's 4,000 people dressed in black, and then there's one person who's not dressed in black who, when the outfit that comes down the runway that she likes, can clap on her own in front of everybody while everybody else is silent. That takes balls. And Isabella had a lot of balls. She also was, yeah, not afraid to you know, say when she You know, people talk about them as kind of sad people or that right. tragic, like her and Alexander McQueen. They were the least tragic people I've ever met in my life. They were full of life. That's what's strange about what's happened. Yeah. But they were, you know, life enhancers. They weren't sad people. How did you actually meet Alexander McQueen? And can you just talk a little bit about your relationship, your working relationship with him? Well, we kind of hated each other to begin with because Isabella had a new kind of, boyfriend as far as I was concerned <laughs> and so um, and he was you know quite a different character when I met him he was quite you know I didn't he was quite you know aggressive <laughs> basically when I met him first but he ended up being very very sweet person and you you worked you did you collaborated with him or would I say collaborated or yes. you made you uh, made hats I'd for his shows yeah. you did more than that really yeah for how many years for all his all. For all his For all. years. Okay. Yeah, and I would sort of, I would work at the hats with Katie England, his stylist. He would never know what the hat would look like. And then I would get to the show on Eurostar about an hour before the show. And then when we'd get, I'd get there, he'd say, okay, let's see him. And then uh, we'd open the boxes and he'd, he was, he behaved like a child on Christmas morning, so... I'm not surprised what you created. It was well, you unbelievable. Know, you, you couldn't really turn up with... You know, he was such an, ex uh, an, you know, an, an exceptionally talented person that uh, I couldn't turn up with a bad hat. It had to be something unbelievable. Otherwise, he'd be disappointed. And the idea of... Dis yeah. I think the idea of disappointing people makes you... spurs you on to do 
good things. To do better. You know, Isabella didn't uh, insist on all those. I mean, she did insist on all those hats. She drove me absolutely crazy about all those hats. But in a very kind, very sweet way, you know, she'd call all day long until she'd explained uh, how important it was, what she was going to. She wouldn't drive you, she wouldn't annoy you with it, but she'd fill you with fear and what you were taking on. And she would expect so much from it that you uh, couldn't let her down. So it had, to be, it had to be something special. And Isabella's idea of a hat was always a very difficult brief. It always had to be something that had never been seen before, a new technique that nobody else had invented, and no one had ever seen anything like it. So, you know, it was like a tall order every tall few order. days. Tall order, so she yeah. pushed you. I remember hearing that you'd made her a hat, she wanted it so big, and you said it's too big, and she went, make it, make it, and then she couldn't actually get through the door to get to the party. Yes, when she got to the party, she couldn't fit in the door, and then she, she came to me the next time, and she <laughs> said, listen, next time you're going to decide on the proportions. Right. So, and she had to maneuver the party sideways. All around the room. <laughs> Bless her. God bless her. Um, when you're with, let's talk, I mean, Izzy, Alexander McQueen, you, the, the creative process, these people are coming with an idea and they're, they're obviously all perfectionists. But it's important to like them. Okay, well that, If yeah. you don't like them, then you don't... Then you don't do it. It doesn't So someone work. like Sarah Jessica Parker or Madonna who wore your amazing thing at the Super Bowl, <laughs> are they coming to you with a telephone call just saying, make it? Or actually, also I want to ask you... Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker is a different... Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker at the Met Ball, I want to talk about that as amazing yeah, she's piece. a different kind of person. She is... Uh, she's a wonderful, wonderful person. And a very nice person. And she's highly intelligent, and she doesn't treat people like idiots, and she okay. doesn't tell you what to do, and she's not rude to you. You know, celebrities think that when they have, when they have, you know, a position, or when they arrive at wherever they want to be, that they it's that they can be rude to people. Right. It's like, uh, yes, no, we don't. It's want unbelievable. That. So Sarah Jessica Parker or Madonna or Lady Gaga will call your office and say, I "I'm feeling like a lobster on my head." for the this, or I'm thinking Not gold, really. I mean, it, or it, it, just, what have you got? Well, the, with the Madonna scenario, it was with uh, Ricardo Tichy okay, from Givenchy, who okay. was designing the costumes, and then he, you know, okay. he collaborated on that, and then I went to New York for a fitting, and then she wore it at the, she Super, wore Bowl. the Super Bowl. So it was exciting, because yeah. we all grew up on top of the pops, and, you know, it's fun to make a hat for Madonna. It's amazing to make a hat for Madonna, and such a cool hat for Madonna. Madonna should be so lucky. But uh, some people are exceptionally nice, like Sarah Jessica Parker. Right. That's okay. why everybody, everybody, you know, that's why some people, everybody likes them. They don't know why they like them, but there's, they have a light. Like, that's why everybody likes David Beckham, because he's just the nicest person, really, in real life. He's just incredible. Yeah. So it's just, you know, that they have a light. Kate Moss, the same thing. Everyone loves these certain people, but yeah. why? Why does everyone love them? It's just they have, they have something special. Something special, and they all seem... You seem to attract very special people. That's because you're very special without sounding too sycophantic. Um, I wanted to ask you quickly about talking I mean of David Beckham. It's, it's quite a... It's, it's a tough brief, always. It's never no, simple it's a major brief. And I was going to say something about wearing a hat. There's something about this paradox of, of don't look at, look at me, look at me, but don't look at me. That's what you feel in a hat. And I think that that... You, you have to yes. be, th there's a real, a real thing of it being a mask, but it's also an incredible show, an incredible kind of show of ego. So if anything's too out Not of control. Not really, actually. No? Uh, it's actually, uh, I know all the most famous hat wearers in the world, and many of those people are very shy people, and they gain their strength right. from wearing something, like Isabella, yeah. you know, 
got her power from the hat. Right. Hats are empowering for women. Yes. They make women feel like but women. But paradoxically, would you good. agree that there's something that you can also hide behind the hat? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, some people are hiding behind the hat. They're yeah. not, you know, they're not show-offs. No. I mean, entertainers have to be. They are a different, yeah. you know... You can't say Madonna or Lady Gaga are not show-offs. They are. Okay, let's that's, that's talking about show-offs. Show. Talking about show-offs, I have to open up for Q&A in a minute. We've been running out of time. Um, tell us about this Michael Jackson show that you did. Because the, I don't know if everyone realises these were the real clothes that Michael Jackson owned, which Philip managed to get from auction before they went to mm. auction. Well, I have a friend in uh, L.A. A few years ago, when Isabella was alive, she decided one weekend that she and I were going to buy Marilyn Monroe's fake eyelashes from an auction house in Los Angeles and the auction was happening tomorrow so I thought that was a great idea so uh, I called up the auction house and the guy who answered the phone happened to come from near where I came from so he gave me a paddle because you can't really do that so but at like $40,000 we didn't have $4,000 between us don't mind $40,000 but I did meet these guys and they do celebrity auctions like shares, a house, or nev they sold the Neverland. The They're called Julian's them. Auction Julian's, house. yeah, lovely and people. And they're the very, very nice guys. And one time when I was in Los Angeles, I saw them and Darren, who works there, he said, you know, I've just been to, I've just flown to middle to, you know, middle America yesterday to collect Michael Jackson's glove. And I was like, wow, Michael Jackson's glove. You know, Michael Jackson's glove is like, it's like the holy grail of showbiz entertainment. and. Uh, so when I started on this African show, I called him up and I said, uh, Darren, you wouldn't happen to have a, a glove that you're auctioning? He said, well, actually, I've got all his clothes. We're selling them in December. So he said, would you like them? And I said, uh, yeah. Amazing. And, uh, and then he couldn't understand why. And then I met the designer who made the clothes and he couldn't understand why I wanted these clothes for my show. And I was like, but, you know, these are pop relics. And uh, they were, you know, we lived with them in Battersea. We had a strong room built for them. Do you have to have security guards and stuff? We all nearly had to have security guards, but fortunately, well, we, we just couldn't afford security guards, 24-hour security. But we did have them for about six weeks in a, in a vaulted room. Okay. But our studio is haunted, so, uh, you know, everyone was a little intimidated a little going worried. there anyway. And did they have... Do they have a yes. kind of weird energy, these They clothes? had the most unbelievable energy. And, you know, I've seen costume clothes before. And uh, I remember I wasn't there when the clothes arrived. And, uh, you know, I'd ordered all these hangers and, and rails because I had a lot of respect for the clothes because, uh, because these were his armor that he performed to the world in. And... Did uh, you try them on for yourself? I definitely didn't try them on, and I wouldn't let anybody else try them on either because I thought it was disrespectful to him. Not even the thriller jacket? Not nothing, because it's, I, I was just so thrilled to have all the clothes. Okay. But, uh, but, you know, clothes were like, you know, bits of magic. Amazing. And yes. now, they're, now they've, they've been auctioned off and they've obviously been bought by separate different people around the world. They've actually been bought by Gaga. Oh, I didn't know that, yeah, really. Yeah, so she saw them at the show. Oh, that's amazing. she um, did a lot of shopping at the auction. And so they wow. were thrilled because suddenly they had, you know, she spent like a million pounds. So, and this is all from your show. So how did Lady Gaga get involved with your show? Because I know that that was quite a... 
She well, wanted to come. I, I, she I work with her come. and I like her. Yes. And I went to see her in Twickenham. Was it Twickenham, Alessandra, we went to? And it, oh, the no, O2. No, no, it was in Twickenham. Okay. And uh, so I went to see her um, ba afterwards backstage and she said, oh, I'd like to come and see your show, but I want to come and see your show like this. So I said, okay. And, and then she wanted to wear Isabella's burqa and then... Right, so the pink burqa we saw in the beginning was originally made for Isabella. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, but you know, the world needs peacocks. They need peacocks. And, uh, you know, Isabella, uh, you know, Lady Gaga is like child of Isabella vibe. Yes. And they're, yes. they're very sweet. She's a very, very sweet person. Really, really lovely person. And many of her other contemporaries are horrible, but she's wonderful. Okay, good, right. Well, I'm going to... We're running out of time, annoyingly. Um, I'm going to open up for audience Q&A. We've got time for maybe three or four really quick questions. Yeah, um, hi, my name is Latouche. Um, I just want to know, what's the best and worst advice you've ever been given? The best and worst? Well, the best was make hats. And the worst advice... I don't really listen to bad advice, really. I mean, I, I, I just wouldn't process it, really. I mean, people, you, you have to, f you know, you know, within you, you know what's right and wrong. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. N at the front. Uh, a technical question. Yes. When you made that, the very sculptural hats for the African show, yes. you said you, you made them out of something to start off with, then had them scanned and then made in 3D. Not all what, of how them. Did you Just three. Yeah. What did you make them out of originally? Uh, Spartan. So it's Sparta is like, you know, flour to Sparta to hat maker is like flour to a baker. It's like a material that What is it? I don't know what it is. It's a it's a material that has a specific property that uh, has a wonderful bias that you can mold with and make shapes with. Okay. So it's what we do everything in. Okay. Do you want it? Okay. Uh front, please. Hi. Mackenzie MacArthur, nice to meet you. Hi. Um I think, like you said, one of the biggest stumps to creativity for young designers is fear, this mm -hmm. element of fear. What advice do you have for young designers to overcome this kind of fear of what is going to be said or what people are going to think? Yes, everyone's very that. fearful. Fashion runs on fear. Everybody's afraid to say what they really think because everybody's sucking up to advertisers, no? And uh, it's a tricky one. I think just be fearless, or be, be don't be so worried about what anybody else thinks, or it's very difficult to sort of explain, just, you know, make good work that's quality and well made, and, you know, uh, that's really what it's all about, because you, you're making something to, that's supposed to inspire people to think about it as something as beautiful and if it's not beautiful if it doesn't look beautiful then it's not gonna it's 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 very nice it's a very it's a wonderful thing to make somebody happy by making them something to wear it's basically what it's all about but you know i have all types of customers i have customers who don't like hats that have to go to something they you know have to wear a hat they're afraid of hats they don't like hats so sometimes it's fun to you know, change that person's mind about, make them look great in a hat. So, I, you know, you, you have to find your own way of, it's, it's a form of expression.
Should okay. I answer that? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Right, we've got time for one more. Do you want to pick? Hi. Um, Hi. Do you ever struggle with creative blocks? And if so, how do you overcome them? Every day. Of course. Yeah, I always think I haven't got another idea. But then I have to have another idea. And sometimes that, sometimes that moment when you think you just can't think of anything, then that, that's when it's going to... That's why it's quite stressful to be creative sometimes. Are there other creative people here that find it stressful to create? It's not easy. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. Because I was going to say, everyone would be doing but you what have you to, do if you it know, was that easy. What you put in, you get out. So it has to be beautifully done. The most difficult thing for hat makers or hat designers today is that, unfortunately, there's a huge scenario of the blind, leading the blind. So I was taught by incredible craftspeople who really knew what they were doing. I, I, I learned back ways. In the beginning, I had to make up my own way of doing things, but I was taught by brilliant people, and now those people are retired and gone. And sometimes the level of teaching in hat courses is pretty awful, I think. But uh, So I feel sorry for young people that want to learn um, because it's difficult to come by n the knowledge from people because some people that are teaching, they shouldn't be teaching. Okay, well, on, the, on that note, I'll say just then look, look to Philip's designs for inspiration and education. Uh, no, but then, then find your own way of doing things because and then find your there's own no point in, in making things that look like somebody else's. That's what will make you successful mm. if you do your, your thing, not a version of somebody else's because it's obvious to everybody that it looks like somebody else's. So it's important to be original and it's easy to be original. You just have to, you know, think clearly. Okay, well, on that note, we have actually run out of time. I'm gonna, we're gonna end, we're gonna leave you with the second half of the show that we watched at the beginning, which is Philip's recent show. If that's what you want. You want it, for sure, I can tell you that much. I wanna say thank you very, very much to You're Philip for coming welcome. along today. You've been absolutely fantastic. <laughs> Round of applause for Philip. Thank you.